Hi, welcome to 10 CDs for a Penny, the show where we talk about mild music mags and culture and stuff. I'm Jackson Maine. This is the second part of the Spin 2003 Ultimate List issue. If you're a music fan, your life probably revolves around making lists, playlists, best of lists, your favorite record list. In the second part of this episode, we're going to be looking at 15 most influential records ever made, not by the Stones, Beatles, or Dylan, as voted by three editors at Spin Magazine at the time, one being Chuck Klosterman. It has punk, it has metal, it has hip-hop, it has everything. You, I don't think you could possibly dispute any one of these records being some of the most influential records ever made, and this is one of my favorite lists of all time. I've thought about this list since this issue came out, and I'm so happy to get to talk to Pab and Noyan about it. So why am I still talking about it? Let's get into it. Okay, guys, turn to page 84, because this is the thing I really wanted to talk about. Of all the lists in this, I have thought about this list since this issue came out. I thought this was one of the greatest lists I'd ever read when I read this for the first time, and I've referred back to it so many times. This is a list of the 15 most influential albums not recorded by the Beatles, Bob Dylan, Elvis, or the Rolling Stones. And among other people, there's Alex Papadamus and Chuck Klosterman made this list. Now, Chuck Klosterman is one of my favorite writers, and I really respect his opinion. And he was an editor at Spin at the time here. So they made this list. It's, it's reasonably obvious, but also like there's just incredible albums on here. And when you think about like how the influence that every one of these albums had, it's a lot like the Josh Holm list, like just really special records that, that just influenced like generations of people. So number one is the velvet underground and Nico by the velvet underground. Um, I feel that this is my opinion, but it's also not something I created that these guys were the first alternative band. They were the first ones to kind of step outside of, I don't know, popular music. By this point, you know, there had been the Beatles, there had been the Stones, like people had been doing really different things, but these guys just took it a step further. Like, I feel like Lou Reed wanted to be Bob Dylan, but you know, he ended up being his own person. These guys did, a, these records were very strange. They were full of pop sensibility, but then they do very bizarre things as well. I'll say the influences of them. David Bowie, Television, R.E.M., Sonic Youth, Jesus and Mary Chain. The list goes on. What yeah. was the quote back in the day or whatever, like a long time ago? It was like only 10,000 people like back then actually liked the Velvet Underground, but every single one of them started a band. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Probably well, even that's, less. Yeah, that's what makes them influential. It's like... The kind of the kind of albums they were writing, no one was doing. Yeah, especially in '67, and and the the voice and style. He's not like Dylan. He is, in my opinion, he's more nihilistic. Yeah, he's more disaffected, detached, and it's a really unique voice in music that you see in subsequent genres, like especially in like '70s New York punk which I didn't even see the connection until I read the book, Please Kill Me, where it's like the lineage from Velvet Underground to, to New York's punk scene is direct. 
yeah. which I didn't know. And you wouldn't think that a band like that would be influential on punk, let's say. Mm-hmm. But and then when you yeah, when you factor in like yeah, REM, David Bowie, and so on, and and really like the indie rock sound that we think of today, you're already hearing it in Velvet Underground. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a really good point talking about the punk era. And we're going to get into this down this list of, you know, what I think uh, the first punk band is and where like punk came from. But, you know, they played a really important role in that. I mean, obviously, uh, punk started in New York um, early 70s, but these guys were, uh, you know, mid to later 60s. And yeah, they were doing very different things. And that just kind of influenced an entire generation of people who, you know, felt that they, maybe that you, you could only do something musically if you were the Beatles, if you were that good. And when the bar was that high, I think a lot of people got discouraged. Um, <laughs> no, it's true. And I mean, like, I think it's that's so where true. punk always comes from. It's like, it always yeah. like breaks down stuff. If you think of just an example like Nirvana, and I don't think Nirvana necessarily like destroyed metal or whatever, like they say, like, you know, like broke down and like, you know, ended hair metal. But it always gets to a point where there's a bunch of kids who want to start bands, but they feel discouraged because they're like, well, I can't be in a band because I'm not as good as Eddie Van Halen. But then you discover that you can just be in a band if you're just a weirdo and you want to do something different and play something really simple. And so that's where I think the Velvet Underground has their most influence is just telling a bunch of people, hey, do whatever the hell you want. You don't have to be the Stones. You don't have to be the Beatles. Yeah, and you don't, um, he never, without compromising intelligence, like you never feel like Lou Reed is an idiot. No. You know, like a lot of people associate like simple music with dumb. And it's like Lou Reed has this literary, like lyrical intelligence to him that really is what makes the band special too. You're not just listening to music, you're listening to a guy with a really distinct point of view that makes it worth listening to. You know, and not every band is like that. No, you're because especially right. like if you're like you're saying like, how many people are going to be able to do Sgt. Pepper's? Like, you, who, what kid growing up is going to have access to the studio <laughs> yeah. and just be like, let's experiment for a month? You know what I yeah. mean? Like, you don't have that, so you, they're creative in a different way, which I think is probably why they were so inspiring to people. Absolutely, I think it kind of falls into the, like the Ween camp where they were kind of doing what they wanted to and weren't really paying attention to what was being done, right? So I think that was really what turned a lot of heads and inspired people. They were like, I can I can do what I want to do instead of what everyone's what everyone else is doing. Yeah. You know, also they were they were a smart band. They were a very intelligent band. I'm not saying like everything was like calculated by any means, but when they did something, you knew it, there was a reason to do it. Like they put out a pop song they put out a noise song they put out whatever right like everything they just i don't i felt like it was all it was all carefully curated like like an art show you know that's a very very good point man because these guys were all from like the art scene background of new york they decided you know like they obviously got into music but they were very close to the the art scene and like i think that's a really good point saying like everything they did was very curated Okay, next one, Funhouse okay. by the Stooges, 1970. 
They say the Stooges didn't play fast enough to have invented punk rock, but their booze-steeped second album is as powerful as a white riot as rock and roll has ever produced. So, yeah, I do not. Here's my opinion. I do not think that these guys invented punk rock. There's a lot of people who think they are the first punk band. I do not agree with that at all. But I think they're one of the first very dangerous uh, bands. Loud, raucous, you know, chaotic, but, you know, calculated as well. These guys wanted to be blues musicians, and it just ended up being, like, really loud and chaotic. Um, Super fun music and not like anything else as well and i feel like that really catapulted a lot of ideas as well of just being like loud and snotty like it wasn't there was nothing else like this at the time i mean i think you know you talk about like you know garage bands like you know like the kingsman and louis louis or something like that you know a little bit like that and a little bit of the kinks you know but everything was pretty pretty palatable in the 60s and these guys came out and i think it was very very different I totally agree. And well, I mean, it's, it's Iggy pop, right? Like he is as a, as a front man does bring a kind of energy that is pretty different than what's, what people are used to seeing in their music because he is, there's a real like edge to the guy. That's a bit like uncomfortable to watch, I think. And, uh, that's kind of what, what, kind of separates them because a lot of other front men don't have that there's still like a feeling of like they want to be liked by the audience mm-hmm. and iggy pop doesn't you don't feel like that you feel like you're seeing somebody who really doesn't really truly does not give a shit <laughs> yeah 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 you're right but is putting on an amazing show while he's yeah. doing it yeah that's right true. like so charismatic like yeah. the stage presence is insane right so like like what level like honestly, yeah the he, stage he, presence he he's at a different level than most performers. And I also think that Ron with this Ashton, like really raunchy, sludgy like rock music, right? Yeah. And like I mean, if you think at that era, sorry, sorry, Jackson, but like if you think at that era, like it's 1970, and you see the Stooges for the first time, right? Um, I'm thinking like you must have been just blown away. Like you must have just been like, "What the hell is this?" You know what I mean? I feel like these guys were. I mean, I'm just making this up right now, but I feel like they were really influenced by Cream. Like Cream sort of had the same <laughs> vibe where like they were playing like you, you like say Creed. Creed, yeah. They're very Creed. influenced by <laughs> Scott's like what? Well, when you think of Scott Staff like oiling up his <laughs> naked chest, it's it's obvious where, you know, Iggy Pop. His came chest from. was hairy. Yeah. Time travel machine. <laughs> yeah. but, <laughs> No, no, no. It's Iggy with the time travel machine. Yeah. Iggy went to the he future went, yeah. and heard Creed and was like, this what are is they what I want my band to sound years. like. And they went back to the 70s and recorded Funhouse. Yeah. It's it's practically the exact same thing. And we always think that it's Creed, <laughs> you know, they're ripping the Stooges off, but it's actually completely the opposite. We know that <laughs> through science. Um, <laughs> I totally got off you. I totally got you off your whole point. I'm so sorry. It really doesn't matter. That was a way better point. <laughs> that was like a train hitting a car, like totally derailed. It's a train derailment. Train hitting a Cream. couch. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> no, again, I think that the Stooges were, you know, really influenced by that kind of loud bluesy sound, like Cream or things like that. Uh, yeah. Namely, Cream. I could like reference. But again, like weren't doing it as well. And then it became 
so much better. Like whenever someone I feel like is trying to emulate something but not doing it as well, but just making it loud and fun and fantastic, that's when it actually becomes incredible. And that's what I think these guys do. Not to say that they're bad musicians, just saying that they're not like as good as like Eric Clapton because you know no one is, even though I don't like him. But uh, <laughs> but they weren't trying to be. They weren't trying to be. Either. Yeah, they didn't need to be. Right. Absolutely. Okay, next one is Black Sabbath's debut album, 1970. Of this entire list, I don't think there's any album that is more influential <laughs> on music than this album, or let's be honest, like the first four Black Sabbath records. But obviously they're using this one as the example. There is nothing more influential in my eyes. I really love the line here. Uh, there are only eight or nine truly heavy riffs in the entire universe, and Sabbath guitarist Tommy Iommi came up with at least three of them, yeah. which is like <laughs> such an amazing quote. Because like, if you know like metal and heavy riffs, like it's very very hard to create a new really really heavy riff and feel like you're original. So to to capture that, you know, there's only eight or nine truly that exist. Uh-huh. that are amazing and, and worth kind of like revering, you know, like I, I think is a really, really good insight here as to why Black Sabbath was so important. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And I also have another quote that I've heard Rob Zombie say. <clears throat> he said it in that Metal Headbangers Journey documentary, almost the exact same quote, him saying, you can't, you know, make up any more metal riffs because Black Sabbath already made them all up. Like anything you're right. doing right now was what they already did. <laughs> totally. Yeah, and it's really hard to picture popular culture without Sabbath, like their influence. Because especially for when we were growing up, like bands like you sort of take for granted. You know what I mean? Like even something like Guns N' Roses or the darker stuff like Metallica. Um, Sabbath really introduced a lot of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like essentially 10, 20 years before everybody else. Can you imagine hearing this in 1970? The first track, Black Sabbath, is the is the first track of the song. It is so dark and sinister. Coming out of like a 1970, coming out of like a Beatles era, and then this band shows up with the... Summer of Love. Like blackest music. Yeah really dark stuff and i'm like this is absolutely like nothing else at the time that had ever been done before this must have been scary as shit it's so they incredible probably thought it was the end of the world yeah they probably thought it was the apocalypse <laughs> that's what it sounds like that's what they're i've been li- i was li- i've been listening to like early like obviously early sabbath a lot recently and it i'm like that's what it sounds like like you listen to the records they really they, they have that feel to them it was super dark yeah, yeah. Pab, is that the soundtrack of your your pandemic life? <laughs> no, I've, I've also been listening to like Bill Evans, like jazz and stuff. <laughs> okay. Bounce, bounce it out. That's good. That's what cool. I, I was going to mention, and just to bring up the the argument, what do you think about the the idea that heavy metal was born out of the Beatles' Helter Skelter song? I do not believe that. I agree with that. Interesting. Well, make your point. Why do you think that? Well, it's it's not my point. Like, I'm not going to pretend that it's my idea. Oh, okay. But there has been argument that you know that Helter Skelter was the first like 
heavy metal song. No. And just because of like the tone, the way the chords are, how heavy mm-hmm. it is. Um, For sure, it sounds like the riff too. The could it easily be a Black Sabbath riff? It's it's huge riffage. It's like using distortion <laughs> in in a unique way at that time. Um, I like the word riffage. Yeah, me too. Riffage. Yeah. yeah my favorite. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there's 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 lots of debating about that. You know, probably not at this moment, but people have debated about this. Well, just because of how big the Beatles were. Everybody was listening to the Beatles, even if you didn't like them. The music was everywhere. Like that's the kind of pop culture influence that they had. It's highly unlikely that somebody like Tony Iommi would not be listening to that record. No, you're you absolutely know? right. Every single person. If if there's a if there's a person that said you know like like a punk era person who said like I, I heard the Sex Pistols or I heard the Ramones and decided like I could start a band. Every other person from 10 years before that was like, they saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan and were like, oh, well, I'm starting a band right now. Like, that was the defining moment, everyone says. Yeah. So, obviously, they're all listening to it. White Album came out in November 68, you know? Like, that's that's quite a little leap before the first Black Sabbath album came out. I'm not saying, like, I don't know enough about the, the Sabbath history and what was influencing... Tommy Iommi or even Ozzy and stuff, but I don't know. I, I'd love to learn more about that. I mean, they're definitely. I I've heard Ozzy talk about the Beatles. He he was definitely listening to the Beatles. Every single person was. And when I think one of you just said like whether you liked the Beatles or not, there was no one in the '60s who who hated the Beatles. <laughs> you you couldn't you couldn't escape the Beatles. I you know I think that that there's always the like the the rivalry between the stones and the beatles or it was like i was a stones fan mm-hmm. you know like you you some people just could not like both they they had to choose a side and stick with it like either you were a blur fan or you're an oasis fan it just there's some of these like rivalries that that occur in time and for some reason people have to choose a side and i never chose a side i was happy to like both of them so yeah, I like that's, the Beatles more though. That's very much our era though. That's very much our generation. There was there there wasn't really a picking sides thing in the sixties because there wasn't that many bands to choose from. This is the dawn of an era of like band culture and rock and roll. That was <laughs> you were probably both. That's that's later, you know, when people decided to like start, you know, picking camps and there was a lot more to choose from and there was different styles. You'd start to, you know, lean towards one or the other. Back then it was you were a Stones fan, and you were a Beatles fan, and you were a Zombies fan, and you were like, you were everything, everything that was new. We're talking about now, like this list. This is when it started splitting off. This is when you started getting new genres and new ideas. Moving on, number four is "What's Going On" by Marvin Gaye. I mean, debatably, like not even just fifteen most influential albums. This is. You get into like any top ten list. This is in the top five every time of greatest albums ever made. Yeah, I I, I wish yeah. I knew more about like the history of like soul music to know what where this is positioned in terms of influence. I'd say it's right up there. I mean, obviously, this is coming out of the '60s when like 
uh, R&B and soul was, you know, like had really taken off. And then this was basically a big record because of the, the content. Like it was the, the musicianship and like the way they wrote it. It was also the Snake Pit, um, or sorry, the uh, the Funk Brothers from Motown, the famous backing band who did all the songs. So they did this entire record with them. They were like the greatest musicians ever. James Jamerson, the bass player, is considered like the best electric bass player whoever lived so he's on this record <laughs> right and then the okay. content was just very like anti-war anti-establishment it was something that wasn't really right. happening in these in motown records so that's why it was right. a monster record in that respect plus with the voice of marvin gay yeah. and then to combine it all and then also like i know talking about the beatles like it's essentially sergeant peppers is like really the first record that is considered like an album album where people are buying albums now. Yeah, yeah. Sergeant sure. Pepper's is the first. So really, you're probably looking at what Marvin Gaye is doing is like, okay, this is like the first like soul record where the album is a classic. And what you're doing, I, I suspect that that's what's going on. Where it's like he's giving you like a, a classic album that's great from top to bottom. Yeah, you're Because I could see Motown doing like the singles thing prior to that. You know what I mean? That's a really good point. I didn't even really consider that, actually. But, you know, that's probably exactly right. Because we, in the 60s, for sure, even Beatles and everything you were talking about, like, it was a very singles-heavy era. And, you know, the Beatles, I think they probably, you know, like, Rubber Soul or, uh, or uh, like, Revolver were probably more, like, the first record record kind of things you are talking about before, you know, Sgt. Pepper-ish. Like, I think Sgt. Pepper was more, like, the first, like, whole concept record. Like, they, they like envisioned an entire record you're right but yeah like for what's going on it was probably yeah like i think there was like a real hit factory singles machine that motown was doing and this was like a really fully realized record uh number five is autobahn by Kraftwerk, 1974 you have to say it in a German of course i do and i have to say it like the guy from the simpsons would say it yeah 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 we words. got to go to Kraftwerk. Yeah, exactly autobahn uh, yeah, obviously there's really no debating that this is an incredibly <laughs> influential record. These guys were arguably or are the first electronic band. So, yeah. Did you guys happen to listen? I posted Autobahn on the list. It's I, I did, and it was my favorite part of the playlist. Really? It was, yeah. 22 I, minutes I, Honestly, long. I haven't listened to Kraft, Kraftwerk in a really long time, and it I'm going to listen to Kraftwerk tomorrow for sure. Okay, awesome. Um, yeah, that record's incredible, and I, I've been a real big Kraftwerk fan too. I really like their music, and again, like I mean, like when you're listening at this point too, like how incredibly different this was. Yeah, it was, it was an entirely electronic synth-based, like Moog-based record. No one had done that. Yeah, exactly. But honestly, like again. the tracks that you put in here, like our people are are producing music that sounds almost exactly like this in 2020. Yeah, yeah. They wanted to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy because when you think of it, again, it's so easy to rehistoricize things. But if you think about the year this is coming out, like 1974, no one is thinking this is going to be music. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely like, right. Like, no one is thinking I see a synthesizer. Oh, let's just make all music like this. Yeah, yeah. No one is thinking that in 74. So for them to be like, no, this is the, you can, this is a viable way of expressing yourself. You know what I mean? It's hard to underestimate it in a way of how influential that is. No, absolutely. 
And I mean, just having the access to this equipment too was just revolutionary as well. I mean, you could just go and buy a guitar, but having access to Moog synthesizers that would, you know, those <laughs> those synthesizers were, I, I, I'm trying to even like put it into perspective, like they were gigantic computers. <laughs> <laughs> they would fill my entire basement. <laughs> I don't even think you could fit it in my basement. <laughs> One synthesizer is your living room. Yeah. But oh. yeah, like again, like you you don't get New Order, you don't get Joy Division. No, you know what I mean. You don't get Devo. Without you don't get these pioneers, basically. Daypash mode. <laughs> Daypash mode. <laughs> okay, what's next? Number one, two, three, four, five, six. The Ramones, self-titled Ramones, 1976. This is the first punk record. The Ramones were the first punk band. Anybody who wants to debate me on this can go ahead, but I will not. And see me in an alleyway yeah. in Kingston. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can meet me in an alleyway. This is where punk started. There was other maybe ideals, if you want to come from like the Stooges. I don't think the Ramones knew well, who the Stooges punk is were. The term, Jackson. What's that? <laughs> What's that? Proto-punk. No, I, I don't like that. I don't like that term. I oh, feel wow. like I feel like it has value, but a lot of things when they're saying proto punk, because I believe this is the first punk album and punk band who made this sound, who created it. I really don't subscribe too much to the the term proto punk because Ooh. that just like that just suggests that there was something before it, and I don't think there was. There's in proto punk. The only thing I could say is that the Ramones were trying to be like '60s garage type acts because that's what they liked. This was coming into an era where I, you know, they really weren't liking like Pink Floyd and all that sort of stuff. They wanted to do Louie Louie again. They just didn't know how to play. They were just terrible musicians, and like their sound grew out of that. They got good, but when they started, they had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> And it just ended up being this, and that's where punk be- began, and that's it. And then, and then it just is going today. It's forty, it's fifty years later, almost. Like it's just, I don't Which even. Which is crazy when I, you think about it. This, this was the thing where this was the album. This was the band. I think again that was. Oh, I can do this. I don't have to be Jimi Hendrix. I don't have to be the Beatles. I can just do what these guys are doing. And it's a ton of fun, and they're just writing minute and a half long songs. This is another thing; these guys were running really short songs. Like they <laughs> they started like the punk era of just write minute and a half long songs. No one else was doing that. Short, catchy, simple songs. Yeah, that's it. And all the songs sound basically the exact same, but they're all just fucking nuclear bombs. They're so incredible. This album blows my mind i love it best track one almost ever blitzkrieg pop starting a record with this oh my god yeah that's huge yeah i mean these they they go through the influences but we don't even have to say it like one is eddie vetter like did we have to say eddie vetter i mean like it's just like saying everyone it says the clash eddie vetter <laughs> like right. nothing sure to do with pearl jam a list and making that list was actually difficult to say who was influenced yeah. Right. Oh, uh, right. Well, I mean, the Ramones. It's like literally every punk band 
yeah. after them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the reality of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Totally agreed. Next one is the Runaways, Queens of Noise. This one actually surprised me only because this record isn't as good as their debut record. I don't know why they picked this one. Maybe it was just because uh. it came out the, the first year that the Ramones did or something like that. So they just wanted to do something for 1977. But I don't know why. This the, the <laughs> this record isn't as good. Like the musicianship's fine, but the songs aren't that good. The lyrics are kind of trite and stupid. <laughs> like... But right. when you think of another like incredible album opener like Cherry Bomb with incredible musicianship and or like songwriting and just like really different style of playing and awesome lyrics, I don't know why. Even what they wrote is like you can find better albums than Queens of Noise. In fact, you might be able to find 10 better albums at most garage sales. So, so it's basically saying this? like they were influential because they were like the first female like rock band. Because, yeah. you know, Joan Jett and Lita Ford. But I think, um, you know, I don't know too much about the history of, of the Runaways, but, like, they were saying that uh, it's basically when they got out from the control of Kim Fowley. Uh, so oh. maybe that's why it's more relevant. Okay, maybe that's the case. But... Well, I think, I mean, in terms of influence, well, I mean, you're, you're, Jackson, you're more debating the album choice. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. not the band? No, not at all. No, right. incredibly influential. There was no other. Female I, I agree. I, I think it's band. just an inconsistency in the list because I feel like every other choice is made specifically for the specific album instead of just including the band based on what was happening in the band's career. Right. Well, maybe the second one did have more of an influence, and maybe that's what it is. My Runaways knowledge isn't like super. Yeah, me too. Well, this was kind of like they were a very short-lived band. So they were around for only a couple years, and then Cherie Curry, the lead singer, left. They did a record without her. I think that's maybe like 1978. They had maybe three years as a band, not even. It was very short. So to pick one of these records when they're kind of falling apart at this point and like a lead singer is leaving, I don't know. They could have done the first record. (laughs) But, I mean, that's just debating what record they picked. I mean, there's no denying how much influence the, the, the Runaways had. Again, another band that was, like, very simple playing, um, but people who, you know, like, there was good musicianship, but it was also simple, and it was also just showing women, hey, you can do this too. Like, we made a band, you go make a band. It's not hard. We did it. Yeah, and also, like, you know, being in a sense, women being subversive, you know, rebellious in a way that you didn't really see prior. I mean, maybe uh, I'm trying to think of anybody else. Like the only one that comes to mind is like Jeff, the singer from uh, like Go Ask Alice. Was it Jefferson Airplane, is it? Oh, yeah, that's um, Grace Slick. But really, like the Runaways, it's like women being super like uh, rebellious and subversive in a way you don't really see. Mm-hmm. until like maybe Madonna and Madonna did start out in punk first. So I do wonder um, in terms of the influence there, you know what I mean? No, that's a really good point, Bab. Um, of, of being kind of, I don't know, like not the status quo of like what a woman was supposed to be, especially at this time in the seventies of these girls were being, well, they're being like men. It was, it was supposed to be like rock music was all male dominated right. and that's what they were doing. So 
they just showed a generation like you can just do this too it's the exact same there's nothing different we're just playing guitar yeah like you can be unapologetic and in a sense very sexual and you don't like you don't have to apologize for it and i don't think there's anyone else in the 70s for, like in terms of women that are doing that no not I nothing can think like this off my head anyway no i mean you can think of other there's other female acts and musicians and artists but they weren't doing this right exactly okay so i could see why that why they made the list no absolutely there's no i mean there was like Joni mitchell there was abba there was these people who were doing different things they weren't doing this they weren't doing kind of scary rock music these girls were teenagers too they were young it was like 15 year olds they think Sherry Sherry Curry was maybe like 15 Joan Jett was like 16 17 they were young okay next on the list there's really no debating this either like the rest of these (laughs) Um, Joy Division Unknown Pleasures yeah the post-punk implosion started here yeah and and another band that when I listen to this today again like you just always gotta like really put yourself into a time like these 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 sounds and these bands are all normal now but you listen to Joy Division it was again very dark odd record uh, very different production it was a lot to do with Martin Hannett the producer so it was their songwriting but it was it was pushed in a very specific direction by him and again very kind of scary dark record it was 1978 there was nothing else like this other than the fact it really kind of blows my mind like how some bands sorry uh, go ahead cut you off there it blows my mind how how ballsy or brave or courageous it is for like kids to be like let's make some music and the music doesn't sound like anything else at all yeah and for you to be i guess comfortable enough to let other people hear it you know because it doesn't sound like anything yeah so you basically it's it's a it's an uphill battle to convince people to like it Right, because there's yeah, no like so true. It's 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 just honestly it. We live in a different age, right? In 2020, we've we've heard we can, you feel like you've heard everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and everything you're hearing is basically a, a bastardization of what you've heard before, right? So, unknown pleasures coming out, and these guys playing these like organic bass lines in this dark moody sounds and even like ian curtis's like tone of singing and his low voice and everything and all of it is like i could just i could just picture some people being like this is absolute garbage get back into your garage and yeah yeah never make music again you know (laughs) it's just really strange (laughs) to me it's true because you think like it's 79 so like the biggest bands in the world are zeppelin and rolling stones you know so like to hear something like this, I can imagine to to a lot of people that have never heard anything remotely like this, they're just like, "What is this?" I know, like, totally. Why are you doing this, and you kind of think like, "Where did you come up with this idea?" Like this doesn't sound right. like punk <laughs> either. Like these guys were at the forefront of punk in England as well, and they're listening to like yeah, Sex Pistols and things like that. And obviously, you know, they just discovered again like you can just do whatever you want. You can do very different like kind of scary music. But then to go here, I'm like, I don't know. And it was just like, yeah, it's like a kind of a perfect marriage too. Like you had these ideas 
with these musicians, but then you also had Ian Curtis with this guy who was like the most, you know, unstylistic Dark. singer at the time. Like he was like you could have you couldn't have picked a more like unpopular sound <laughs> than what he was singing like. But people latched yeah. onto it. They were they were all over it. They thought it was so different and unique and amazing. It's so interesting. It's literally it, to me. It's like literally the exact opposite of like the Ramones. Yeah. It's 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 a hard listen. It's not as catchy. It's like it's like you know like tempo wise and everything. I I feel like some people listen to it and just be like, this is music that's not meant to be made. Right. Well, I was I yeah I could see why it's nothing like the Ramones, but like in some respects it is because it's still fairly simple music. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you're not doing, it's not like elaborate eight minute, you know, arrangements. No, you're right. Right. Joy division. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of simple, still kind of popish type of music. Yeah. I mean, it's post-punk. It, it came out of that era. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Bob. And then it like obviously evolved to that sound, but it was still taking the sensibility. It was just like short to the point and like simple musicianship. But openly melancholic. Yeah, openly like existential, almost gothic, yep. and that's really where I think Joy Division kind of like make their mark because, and I think that's probably why they're so influential too because you don't really see too much of that prior. Like maybe a little bit in the Doors, you see it a mm-hmm. little bit in Sabbath. Yeah, but um, like Ian Curtis is a much more like sensitive, introspective frontman. You don't really see that in music at least in popular music no you're and right so for a guy to listen to something like Kraftwerk and then make it his own in that way mm-hmm. you know um i think it's because then you see bands like the smiths like for sure they heard joy division and then morrissey's like oh this is finally i have somebody i can relate to right. I'm, I'm guessing no yeah you know? for sure well they were both manchester <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but like the being being able to write music that's melancholic, that's mm-hmm. like very introspective. Uh, you know, it's it's not to, we take it for granted now, but it wasn't always like that. That's a really good point that I wasn't even considering right now. But that all of a sudden, you know, where it's you know to use the example of like the Ramones, it's like oh, we can do this. We can just play like three chords and do this. All of a sudden, <laughs> with the Joy Division, it's like oh, we can be sad. We can just be yes, sad exactly. and make sad music. Oh, I didn't know that was allowed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to do that yes. now because I'm sad. I want to make sad music. Exactly. Like, can you imagine what it must have felt like to be able to to hear that? I imagine that's what it was like, like for somebody like Morrissey, like, oh, somebody has the courage to just express what like things that are really not comfortable to share. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. What a revelation. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right next one is uh black flag damage 1981 so teach us jackson <laughs> <laughs> okay so i mean this is among like the first what you would call hardcore records i think this is probably um probably the most well-known at the time even though this would have been an underground record it's, there was like we, we talk about the black flag now like they were you know, like some sort of big band. You see them a lot of, you know, people wearing black flag t-shirts, but these guys never made any money. Like they were a band for, like they were honestly, they were like a shitty, 
like basement right. punk band for years and years and years. They never made money. They were always broke. Like these guys did, you know, were not successful, but they were incredibly influential. Like everybody heard these records and immediately started this style of punk, like just really angry, aggressive, aggro, fast punk. Now, the Bad Brains, I think, were like before these guys, and but I can see why they're saying like this is the most uh, influential, like you know, hardcore record probably. Like they're gonna say, like after this, the influences are Meat Puppets, Nirvana, Bad Religion, Offspring, and then on and on, like Blink One Eighty Two. I don't think there's a lot of damaged in Blink One Eighty Two, but <laughs> but you know, it's right. just like where it all came from, like just playing this like kind of like faster more aggressive punk but i do want to say this and i think we kind of brought this up earlier is that more than this record these guys um influence so much of like the hardcore generation but the next record after this or not the next record the, the one from 1984 my war if you ask any person uh, in the grunge era like mud honey mark arm or like uh, maybe uh, you know, Kurt Cobain would say this, but I've heard so many of these guys say this. Um, they were all into hardcore, and then grunge happened, and then they said, "What happened? Why did you guys slow down? Like you were all into these like fast punk bands, then you started making this music. What happened?" And they said, "We all heard my war. Every one of these people, like Mark Arm, like why did you slow down? I heard my war, and I slowed down. And literally, that's where I think grunge was born out of." that record everybody heard that record and slowed their music down and made like just a, a down a more down tempo punk and that's what grunge was and also that all the guys in black flag all grew their hair long as like an opposition to all the punks shaving their heads and then everybody grew their hair long so if you want to talk about influence <laughs> on like grunge right. era and 90s it was literally black flag grew their hair long and then mud honey grew their hair long so yeah so like in in similar themes like like the stooges are kind of like there's a really raw edginess to them Mm -hmm. but i wouldn't classify iggy pop as a super like angry dude no like he's he's got edge and he you know there's an edge to him but it's more like on the nihilistic side I guess Black Flag is more like it's hardcore. It's more about a, a vehicle for aggression and anger. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And it's Henry Rollins. He's an angry guy. He's a scary angry guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And so you're you're seeing probably again, like if you're watching Black Flag for the first time, you're seeing a band being unapolog- unapologetically just angry and aggressive mm-hmm. and kind of like this is what this music is. Yeah. This is what we're doing. This is what we're here to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of like, you know, the the production is really raw. I just always felt like Black Flag, even though, you know, like like they were a punk band and I think they had, you know, at least the means to make like maybe a little more polished record. They didn't. And I just feel like there was so much after that, like that influenced the entire like alternative nation of the 80s and early 90s of just like that very like raw sound that grunge was. Right. But well, yeah. So they influence grunge, but then it's like there's a lot of like I assume they influence bands like Pantera, um, or no, like the heavier like I don't know thrash type of stuff or no. No, I would say that's more. It's weird that like bands like 
you know Metallica are on here because I feel like they were a big influence on that. Like obviously, like it all has to come back to like Black Sabbath, but I don't know. I right. feel like yeah, it, that's a good question actually because I know that Pantera were obviously they they came out of like a hair metal scene or whatever like in the 80s they had been playing a long time but by the time they found that very aggro like scary pantera sound it almost is like black flag i've never even really considered that if those guys like you know of like phil the lead singer was like a black flag fan it would make sense because that's really where those like you know those two sounds are kind of married it's like a thrash sound but also like a very hard edge hardcore sound right because again like when you're thinking about influential records like there's literally a time where people just did not think of music as a vehicle to express anger and aggression and then literally bands came along being like oh no you can do this yeah yeah which is part of what makes black flag what they are it's like oh you you can actually do this and when you're a kid and you see that you're like oh i didn't know that yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) i want to do that i want to break shit yeah <laughs> I feel like this these era this era like this like late seventies sorry late late sixties of going into the seventies early eighties is basically parsing out the human emotions and giving people a little bit more depth depth into each one, whereas like black flag is like the the full realization of anger and like uh unknown pleasures is like more of a realization to like the deep dark corners of the you know the the depressed or sad mind or whatever you know like and it's 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 people and artists just basically exploring that finally instead of you know what everyone was doing up until that point and like from before the 60s and up to the 60s it's like let's you know not a conscious thing but people actually like being more in tune with these emotions that they have and just following a specific thread and then they inadvertently invent a style of music that basically captures that specific emotion. So you kind of like, there's a color for like angry. There's a color for depressed. There's a color for like happy, like confident pop, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. But to me, I think it's more that it's less exploring and more like someone like Henry Rollins doesn't want to make a happy upbeat song because it's not him. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like what they're really doing is saying, I'm going to make the music fit me and my personality. Yeah. Like I'm an angry, aggressive guy. All 10 songs are going to be, you know, like Lennon is more like, well, I've got range. I got moods, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I want to write a sad song and sometimes I want to write a happy song. Not everybody's like that. Ian Curtis isn't like that. I think he's what he's doing. He's saying like, no, I'm sad all the time. So my record is going to be sad. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a really, I mean, like, you can see, like, exactly what you're saying, Noyan. Like, it all just, like, builds and builds and builds. There's, like, a little bit more. It's like, oh, we're allowed to do this? Oh, we're allowed to do this? Yeah. And then you've gotten, like, from 1967 up until, like, 1977 and, like, into the early 80s, and you're getting into Black Flag going, like, oh, wait, we're allowed to be, like, this pissed off on a record and just do whatever we want? I mean, this is also getting to the <laughs> point where, like, there's, like, independent record labels, too. Like, when we're seeing these type of things... Yeah, like the Ramones and Unknown Pleasures and Damage. These are all like on indie labels and they're allowing artists to do this at that point. They're discovering people and saying like, we actually you have a voice and we're actually going to put it out there. We don't need the majors anymore. Yeah. 
which is another God big bless point. Those, the yeah. indie labels. Yeah. Speaking of indie labels, coming up here, Run DMC. Yeah, you know what? I was a little bit surprised. I mean, maybe we're going to get into it, but I actually thought like Grandmaster Flash would be on this list over Run DMC, I suppose. Well, no, it doesn't have to be an either or, but then I was thinking too, like if you want to think about albums, this is more like a rap album. Yeah. I don't know. And I think like when you just bring up Grandmaster Flash, again, like was he just releasing singles? Was he like making records? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And I mean, so this is up to the point and I just did a pod on Rick Rubin, so I've read up on him a lot lately, but this is to the point where Rick Rubin's production was really like why this became so huge because his idea was that there was hip-hop and rap artists happening. Like, this is 1984. There was stuff before that and stuff that he had produced before this. But he said there was rap artists, but when you went and heard them at a club, it was one sound, and when you heard them on a record, it was a different sound. The record was always like, let's take R&B soul or something like that, like a funk band, and play, and then the guy will rap over it. But when you go to a club, there was just a DJ. And then he'd rap over it. And he's like, well, why aren't we hearing this? He's like, this is way better. So this is when he made this record with Run DMC. And that's why this is probably one of the most influential things was because right. this is probably one of the most, one of the first records, hip hop records that was ever made. Yeah. And it was like a fully realized like uh, record yeah, exactly. with, the, with the style of production that he was doing. And that's why this is probably considered so influential. Yeah, hence the name of the list. Yeah. 50 most influential albums. Yeah. And then we go to the next one, <laughs> Straight Outta Compton, NWA. You want to talk about angry people. <laughs> <laughs> right. And yeah, and the same theme of like people like taking, uh, taking, grabbing like a genre kind of like with both hands and then subverting it to their own thing. Like NWA is like, no, we're going to rap about exactly what we want to rap about. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's what they're doing. This is considered gangster rap. It's probably considered one of the first gangster rap albums, if not the first. But it, this, at the time, they were calling it reality rap. <laughs> no way. Yeah. So Run DMC, like, you know, you take artists so like I this. I can relate to it then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Me, personally, I can relate to the struggles of people in Compton in 1988. Kingston, Compton, very Yeah, yeah, the same. Murder rap. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's what they called it in the the article. They called it murder rap. Yeah. But again, like... Which would make sense. Talk about influential. Like, yeah. I mean, it predates people like 50 Cent, even. Well, obviously. Of like, well, because gangster rap became like super... Because... Who would have thought that, like, think about it, like NWA came out with a style of music that eventually would could sell 10 million records. Like yeah. nobody thought that in 1988. Yeah. But you then, I mean? but then like you get to, I think I see where your point is. Like you get to people like 50 Cent who are releasing like really danceable, like club heavy stuff. But this is a guy who got shot like 10 times, nine times. <laughs> nine times. Of course <laughs> he got shot nine times. How could I forget? That's how history works. Eventually, it's 20 times. (laughs) I think what's interesting here, I think it was specifically nine times. I think what's interesting here is that if there was not um, 
the Run DMC and Run DMC album, then the the NWA album probably wouldn't exist. So it's basically the progression of rap that you're seeing in this influence list. No, for sure. As well. No, absolutely. Whereas, like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if we're seeing that in the same way in in some of these other genres, right? Like, I guess you can say we we're saying that Ramones are the first punk album, mm-hmm. right? Punk kind of bleeds into and kind of morphs into hardcore. So I guess that can work with Black Flag. Um, but I feel like it's a little bit more removed to a certain degree in terms of sound. Whereas, you know, in terms of sound, I'd say that Run DMC and NWA have a similar sound, but that the abrasive content was really what was the next step forward. Yeah, okay, I get it. There? Oh, yeah, 100%. And also the introduction of Dr. Dre. So Yeah, for sure. Like, when you, again, like, people don't associate, like, again, you can't imagine popular music without Dr. Dre's influence. Yeah, absolutely. And this is his first appearance, which is 88. And again, yeah, like, that guy's got his fingerprints on a lot of popular music. Yeah, I know. Like, the next 30 years. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> if I was young, I would have... I wish somebody would have told me, like, listen, like, if you listen to this record, you're basically getting a, a window into, a, like, a way of life that you're not going to hear about almost any other way. Yeah, yeah. Like, you turn on the television, you watch movies, you're not really understanding what it's like for somebody in so many, for people in so many parts of the United States and around the world of, like, poverty and gang violence and what people are exposed to on a regular. And that's what these people are trying to do is like draw attention to that reality. No, you're absolutely right. No, it's true. Like at that age, I would have had no idea. I would have just heard, Oh, like, Oh, I like this song. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Fuck the police. What a great song. (laughs) No, you're absolutely right. And I mean, at the time too, this is 1988. We did not have, it was very limited ways to get information. And you're listening to this record that came from thousands of miles away. And it's telling you about this place and these people and what they're going through. It was like one of the only windows into like a way of life like that. Yeah. All right. Next up energy by operation Ivy. How familiar are you guys with operation Ivy? Not at all. Not at all? Personally. Like zero? <laughs> I basically only know about them because I know that uh, they were such a massive influence on Green Day. Yeah. That's really the only way that I, I discovered them back in like the 90s. Okay. So these guys are from the exact same scene. They're from the same record label as early Green Day Records, Look At Records. Uh, and her, her Operation Ivy became Rancid. So uh, Tim Armstrong and Matt Freeman, after this band, made Rancid. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So East Bay Punk, wow. um, I guess why they're, you know, citing them as like such a big influence is that they kind of had the marriage of punk and like, you know, two-tone ska bands. Uh, so these guys were huge Clash fans, obviously, and you know, the same bleeds into Rancid's music, very big Clash influence. Um, but this was again like a way raw sound, uh, way raw recording. Um, a lot of the uh, same type of things we were just talking about, you know, talking about real life, like how these guys were living and like politics, and, like the the time that they were living in. 
this is one of my favorite albums ever. Um, like again, like probably top five for me. Like I, wow. dis- I discovered these guys probably around my was like sixteen. We were getting into punk, and you know, was starting to just try to grab whatever you could. Again, hard harder to find things uh, at the time, especially living in a small city. And my friend got this. I think he was like reading magazines and saying like, you know, probably said like where Rancid came from or something like that. And he's like, oh, it's this band. So he bought this and we immediately just like fell in love with it. Just like I think I spent an entire summer just listening to this record. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Uh, There's a song on this. You go ahead. Sorry, go on. Go on, go on. No, just there's a song on this uh, called Officer. I'd say it's my second favorite song of all time. (laughs) And how old are you when you were like 15, 16 getting right. into this? Yeah. My only my only question though is why this why does Operation Ivy get the nod here and not like the Clash who came out wave earlier? I I was thinking that too. I don't know. Like I'm this is honestly although I love this record I don't get Yeah, like you're absolutely right. I I don't really get why they were cited as like so so influential i feel like they are but for bands that i really don't like like when they go through like the influence they, <laughs> they're talking about like sublime and 311 and stuff like that and like that kind of thing happened or just like the explosion of like 90s ska which i never got into and i was really not in like a fan of like less than jake and all that sort of stuff that's where this came like it all came Except from these guys if it's when stefani I look at this. I look at this as like if the list had the Clash instead of Operation Ivy, I honestly think it would be less interesting. I actually think it's more interesting that it's Operation Ivy. So I'm think, I'm down with that. No, I I I, I completely agree, <laughs> Noyan. And I think it's almost like in the realm of when they're saying this is the most influential albums not recorded by huge bands, and. I don't know. I guess these these bands one. are huge, like Black Sabbath or something like that. But the Clash is just so prolific, and they had so many different records of different styles and everything. Like I, I, I don't know which I don't know which Clash record you'd pick to say this is the most yeah. influential because they had like five very different records. So, <laughs> but at the same time, super influential. And then when you really think, of, I can see why they would pick it because it's like when you think of the music scene in California just after them like you could see they have they have their fingerprints on a lot of it yeah because it's like green days like if you're influenced by the clash and you're putting some reggae then yeah there's a whole ska scene that happens right after that you know what i mean for sure and it's hard to picture popular music in the 90s without that yeah but you could see it comes back to like the clash but yeah this was an entire scene too. If you look into all the bands at the time, like we actually were talking about like Pansy Division before and Green Day, like there was a real um, sound coming out of this specific area. Like this is Berkeley, Oakland, California. This is where this is all from. Um, so at the time there was a definite scene. Lookout Records was kind of a sub pop type of thing. Like just like picking right. a bunch of similar bands and kind of hyping that. So jealous. Yeah. And they actually referenced the Gilman Street Club in this article, which is where all these bands came from. And I went there last year specifically. I went and stayed in Berkeley and just went to this club. And there was wow nothing going on. It was <laughs> it sucked. I wish there was like a better show. There was like a tiny That's... little show, but I went just to go. I remember 
like being a, like a teenager growing up in the suburbs and how I would just fantasize about what I was reading about in magazines mm-hmm. of like these music scenes. Cause it would be like what you were reading was like, it was like almost like music everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like you would go out, there were so many bands everywhere and it wasn't like that where I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Where it was like some people were in bands, you know, kind of, you know, you played in bands, but it wasn't like a whole thing where everybody was into it anywhere you would go there were bands playing like even Eddie Vedder talking about Seattle was the same description. Yeah. You know, no, it would have been an incredible place. Like I, I, I grew up, there was a lot of bands in my city and in my high school, but it, it petered out pretty fast. There was uh, the moist being one of them. (laughs) Moist being one of them. Yeah. I was actually in moist. Um, my cousin. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I, growing up, there was actually like a really cool scene of just, you know, high school bands, but that was, that was a ton of fun. There wasn't a, a real big, uh, exciting music scene coming out of Kingston. And if, if there was, <laughs> I didn't know about it cause I couldn't go to bars, but, um, okay. We're down to the last three. Let's get this done. This is the one that I, the only one that I was really unfamiliar with, uh, uncle Tupelo, no depression. This is Jeff Tweedy's first band before Wilco. How familiar oh, are these guys to you? I wish I could help you. I love Wilco, but I've, this is one of those bands that I've heard so much about them, and I've just never gotten around to checking them out. They're they're like kind of almost close to legendary status in that kind of in those circles. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just I keep meaning to check them out, and I don't. And um, I'm sure that when I do, I'll be like, oh, this this is amazing it's my new favorite thing so maybe i'll listen to them with uh craft work tomorrow yeah i was never a big wilco fan i like wilco a lot now um it took me a long time to get into them and it actually was more when nils the guitarist came in like in the mid 2000s that i really started loving them because i loved his playing before that i was that kind of like slow country stuff was never super appealing to me um, but not to say that Wilco isn't an incredible band and I've seen them and their show was amazing. One of the best shows I've seen. Uh, but this uncle Tupelo, I listened to this record, uh, leading up to this and it's that it's this, it's this sound that you've heard a hundred times now. And it's when you listen to this record and go, Oh, that's where this came from. <laughs> that makes sense. Like, it's like drive-by truckers, you know, like real Southern fried. Like it's, it sounded like the country version of the replacements to me, like that sort of sound. And I don't think that was really done before. So that's why I can see why this is such an intellectual oh, and, you know, um, important record. It's uh, when it's when the, the, the sound diverges into like this, like folk rock, right? Yeah. It's folk rock, but it's heavier and like faster because I'm not really good with country, but uh, <laughs> just <laughs> describing it. But I like, don't know. I don't even call it country. I feel I like do. it's weird to call it country. I feel like it's like '70s, like twangy country, but it's got some punk edge. That's what. I, that's what I feel like. It. That's where it is. Well, but probably that the the songwriters, the main songwriters, were probably influenced by country. Oh, for sure. There's no, right. I, mean, I don't really know where Jeff Tweedy came from, but he right. is 100% a country fan. 
Right. And and again, at that era, like it was, country was a very like, in a sense, I mean, pretty separate genre. Be- very, very, very separate and uncool. It was a completely separate. Yeah. Only like country people, country music fans were listening to it. There was no crossover. There's a lot of crossover. It's in those... quite divided. Sorry, but there's a lot of crossover in those genres too. Like country sort of sounds like rock. Rock sort of sounds like country. Not to like reference Nickelback or anything, but they like they're very much the marriage of those two. That's why like they have a shitload of fans because they're like sort of rock, but they're sort of country. No, but even even the more folky stuff, folk and country definitely go together, right? So yeah, absolutely. Stuff like. I don't know, Lumineers, Fleet Foxes, or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like real like Americana stuff, yeah. Okay, uh, second to last one. Band that you guys have never heard of. Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> Debut record. <laughs> I don't think there's anything that we really need to say about this. We know the massive influence that these guys had afterwards. I think literally the only thing that I want to say is this is another band on the list that all of the bands that they like spawned off and influenced, I really dislike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love Rage. Rage is friggin' amazing. Like I, I love Rage. They're, they're an amazing band. All the, the three records they put out were all great. They're four. amazing live. Was four. it four? Did they? Mm-hmm. Was one kind of a well, covers record? Three. Come on, guys. Yeah, but that Rage Renegades, was that really a Rage Self-titled Evil Empire was the last one. So, so wait, let's go in order. Self-titled, Evil Empire, Battle of Los Angeles, and then the last one was just uh, Renegades. Yeah, I don't count Renegades because that's a covers album. It's you need to count Renegades because it's 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 a great album, but it's it's I it's I don't consider it a proper album. It's just like the Master Plan is not a proper album. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, or the spaghetti right? incident no it's not the same it's it's a all rage right. record it's it's all of the the riffs that you hear most of them almost almost all of them are just rage songs with lyrics from other songs there are very few that are just like straight up like covers i like that they're essentially reimagined um songs in the rage style yeah like go right? goes to tom jode like is like an old country song. That's not what you're hearing. <laughs> is Ghost of rage. Tom Jode on that record? Yeah. Are you sure? Oh, yes, God. guys. It is. Uh, no, because I remember is. that being released <laughs> no. in the well, 90s. No, I, the I Renegades was 2000. I like this record. The, rec- the, so- the record's great. It's just I don't consider it a proper record. That's oh. all. All right. You take that back. <laughs> it's, well, it's not an insult. I'm just saying like the way I categorize it is I'm not calling a Tom Morello right now. <laughs> is Incesticide a proper record? No, I know it's not. It's it's not exactly the same. It's not a good comparison because that's like a B sides record as well, right? But yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's not. It's not created in the same way. They didn't write all the songs themselves. They kind of rearranged songs. I don't know. Anyways, all right, we can argue. It's just the way that I sort albums out and the way that you sort albums out. So that's fine. Uh, but Noyen, no, I completely agree <laughs> with their the influence that these guys had is, is being a lot bad. of shitty bands. <laughs> Limp Biscuit is unfortunately is here. POD and Kid Rock. Oh fuck. Yeah. The worst. And you know, and a what big a, what a, big a terrible reason, list of bands. A big reason too is that a lot of bands didn't understand how political rage actually were. So 
they just did this watered down suburban angry white guy version, you know, yeah. of what they thought rage was. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like basically draining it of all of its real content. Yeah. Or they so just, sad. or they just made rage cover bands. <laughs> yeah. Well, not even, I mean, cover at least would imply some sort of political message. Can I Most ask... of them, they're just angry yeah. white dudes. Uh, okay. Last one, guys. Diary by Sunny Day Real Estate, 1994. Okay. Also, I don't know anything. Okay. This. Nothing? Nothing. I was like, I've never even, like, usually I will have known, I would have at least heard the name and some artist you know of will reference them or something. Okay. This, I don't remember this one at all. So pretty Good much. Band. Yeah. Great band. Sub pop band. Uh, like Pacific Northwest. These guys were from Seattle area-ish. And yeah, like they were the guys who pretty much, if you're listening to any emo, like from 1994 on, which is essentially where it started with these guys, uh, it, it's it's these guys. They influenced that. And they pretty much, they had two records. This was like their one big record. And then after that, everybody else came after that, you know, like uh, Promise Ring and Get Up Kids, like all that. Every other of, emo band. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like Saves the Day, everything. Like they just came after that. And then, I don't know if you know this, Bab, this is Sunday Day Real Estate. The two guys, the drummer and the bassist, went to Foo Fighters. So no way. The first record of the Foo Fighters, well, the, the bassist. The second. Second uh, record. First record. Okay, well, Dave played Dave, all the Dave stuff. Dave Roll yeah. plays everything on the first record except for one guitar solo. Okay, but his touring band was uh, those guys. Sure. When he yep. went out and played, they were. Oh, I said they formed the band. He made the entire record. Then they joined the band. Then they made the second record. The drummer got kicked out, which sucked. But I am. Uh, but Nate, uh, the bassist, he was in Sunny Day Real Estate, and he then he went to Foo Fighters, and he's still in Foo Fighters. Oh. Yeah. I did yep. not know that. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah, well, look at the, the but, way that Dave Grohl curated his band, like Pat Smears from. Nirvana, but before that he was with the Germs. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's a it's a pretty stacked band that he kind of created. I don't even know what Taylor Hawkins was in before he was, he was in out of the Alanis band. Morissette. He was in Alanis Morissette's <laughs> band. Oh yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he was. He was in her touring band, right? Yeah. And the other guitarist, I don't know his name, was in uh, No Use for a Name, another like California punk. Oh band. yeah, 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 yeah. Do you think Jackson that this album and this band? influenced the emo bands subsequently because i mean i my knowledge of emo history is a bit fuzzy but yeah i normally would have attributed weezer like a lot of the bands that became emo i would have assumed that they were more influenced by weezer and not this band but what do i know so this is a big debate like not to get too far into it but like people just started saying this in probably like the early 2000s that like they were like the big influence on emo and it was all about Weezer. Like, and this is when Weezer kind of had like their, their second life as well. You know, they hadn't really done anything since Pinkerton and all of a sudden they came back with the green album and that's when emo got popularized on the radio and stuff like that. So all of a sudden there was this thing about Weezer being like the influencer on the emo generation. And I never heard that once in the nineties. Not once. There was never anyone I knew who was into like these style, like, and these emo bands, these were again like underground bands. It was a very niche audience. No one was saying anything about Weezer. They were talking more about like, because these guys were considered like 
uh, what you call like post hardcore. So there was like post hardcore, and then it was like into like emo. Oh, so I no see. one was ever saying anything about Weezer. They were saying more stuff like I don't know, like Jawbreaker, or even when or like Fugazi, like just other stuff like that. That's what they would have been referencing. And then it got up to these guys, and these guys were a little whinier and a little more like soft and melodic. Like thing, other things before them had been a little more edgy. And then this was the kind of whiny thing. All of a sudden, you know, like it's kind of like uh, Joy Division. All of a sudden we're like, oh, we'll just be like really sad. And then like these guys weren't super sad boys, but then there was like some really sad shit after this. Like Joan of Arc and like really like you thought these guys were crying on records. <laughs> but were they influenced by Sonny? Like yeah, by yeah they were because yeah, for oh, sure. Okay. Because okay. everything so kind of came The lineage that. is right there. Yeah, yeah, it would be, it would be. Even though okay. like these are like different part of the country and everything, I think a lot of people heard this record, and I would say so. Like, I mean, I can't speak to that exact time because I don't remember this record in 1994. I remember it more like I got into this probably like 2000 or something like that. I was into the other bands, but I hadn't really heard of these guys either. I'm, I'm with I the only same. thought about emo only after like 2000. Yeah, yeah. I and never that's when that's when people started using the phrase though. Like, yeah. I, you know, I feel like there's a bit of like revisionist history here with like where finding the roots of emo and I'm not an expert by any means. I'm glad that they kind of mentioned Rites of Spring and some of these other bands that are kind of considered like the first emo bands. But right. I feel like even calling Weezer like a huge emo influence, I think there was a lot of bands in North America that were doing things that fall under the umbrella that could be defined or like be called emo because emo is such a massively broad term, right? But it so, wasn't right. in the 90s. It wasn't. There was there was a couple it, like there was a couple scenes and a couple record labels and that's what people considered emo and there was oh, there was right. a okay, there I was the, the emo label. And again, I wasn't a massive changed, fan probably. Yeah, and then it became that's why I'm saying like it's exactly what we're talking about grunge. All of a sudden, grunge just meant nothing. There was a scene that people were like a handful of bands, and then all of a sudden, every band became grunge. Every band became alternative. It was just, it, it meant nothing anymore. It was just rock. And that's what I feel what happened in the 2000s. All of a sudden, every band was emo, even though they were just four guys with guitars. Like, it didn't It's basically match. like, yeah, it's, it's like, sorry, it's just like, it's indie rock music that anyone was playing with any sort of like a little bit more sensitivity got lumped into this emo kind of genre. Like even bright eyes, they, yeah. I heard this one story recently on a podcast where um, bright eyes were touring. They were playing a show in like LA or something like that. And they're like, Oh, you guys are emo. And Connor Oberst was like, what is that? Yeah, and right. they basically had to explain to him what emo is, and they're they're like, you guys are so you guys are emo. Like you, people are saying you're emo in articles, and they're like, we don't even know what that is. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Whereas, yeah, and I remember when I heard emo the first time, it was Dashboard Confessional and like Jimmy World. Yeah, yeah. Was, I remember was like, and I can when I hear Jimmy World, I'm like, yeah, I could I could see them listening to Weezer and yeah. then changing it a little bit. You know. But how does it make sense that that Weezer, the Used, and Bright Eyes can all be called emo? Yeah, but I don't. Well, consider I don't consider the Used a emo, emo band. Were they considered I can just emo? See I'm them sure they influencing were. emo bands, but not them being emo. 
Sure. What would you say, Jackson? No, I'm telling you, were they used? Were they considered an emo Yeah, band? they were also emo and I guess like offshoots of... Is, is it emo hardcore? You know, Screamo. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, emo I, I, is, I have a lot of problems with emo that. Emo hardcore is where that came from. It was called... They started calling it in the 80s emotional hardcore. And then they just started calling it emo. <laughs> I don't know why I like that name, emotional hardcore. I know, it's pretty great. Eh? Genres are just so dumb sometimes. I know, I know. Um, well, they got to they name it something. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Tweecore. What's that? 12-year-old <laughs> uh, You'll find out in like two months. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm recording it in my basement right now. You're recording your daughters right if... now? It's it's called Tweecore. It's you know it'll be huge. Okay, it'll be huge. It's gonna be huge. <laughs> uh, that's a list, guys. That took a long time, but that's a list, and we covered. That was an amazing chat. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Awesome. And that's it. That was the list. I want to thank Pab and Noyan again for joining me. And if you're listening out there, I just want to remind you to please subscribe to us on Instagram or Twitter. It's at 10 CDs for a penny. It's pretty easy to find. It's a pretty unique name. So I hope you enjoyed and we'll see you next time. Pick it up. Do you have to put the top of power like control?